at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, January, what are we, 11th edition of Invest Talk? 12th, excuse me, January 12th edition of Invest Talk. Thank you all for tuning in during this hour. And I'm going to do my best, as usual, to make it as informative as I can for you. I know there's a lot going on in today's market. Uh, we had the inflation data that came out today. Obviously, that's going to be something we discussed today and how that feeds into market sentiment, Fed policy, liquidity conditions, uh, etc. Uh, and, you know, that's all important. It's important to keep uh, all of this top of mind uh, for the near term. Uh, but as they say, Rome wasn't built in a day. And your portfolio, your financial future isn't going to build, be built and finalized in one day. It's about the journey and it's about consistency, consistently making good investment decisions and doing that in a down to earth way where you're focused on the facts and you're weeding out as much emotions as you possibly can. So that's uh, going to be our goal here as usual today. I'm Justin Klein, and on this radio show and podcast, I'm going to help you build the portfolio strategies and help you make good decisions. So the phone lines are always open, 888-99-CHART, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I've got a lot of material to discuss with you today. My main focus point is in regards to what are bucket portfolios and how do they perform in 2022? Okay, so we're going to look at that i also have some other topics on the docket for us as well uh, but ultimately this is really going to be uh, a show uh, about your calls so 888-99 chart is how you get through and ask your question on today's show we love your live calls your live calls are what fuel this show and so that's why i always encourage uh those calls as as, as uh, often as possible don't don't hesitate I know this is a, uh, I know you have questions. I know you do. And we have some voice bank questions to play for you. Uh, one is on Jackson Financial. And of course, we're going to get to your live calls as well at 888 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today. We had a, mo- a pretty good update. We had the, the inflation data, the much anticipated uh, inflation uh, picture. And it was pretty much in line with expectations. Not a whole lot uh, unexpected uh, on that front. Um, you know, overall, if you look at the inflation uh, data month over month, you know, the headlines are always going to look at year over year. But remember, the as you can tell from last year, one year can be drastically different. 
And when that happens, you have base effects. You have base effects that impact the numbers that you're looking at. Okay? And all you're doing is looking at the past 12 months when you're looking at year over year. Right? 12 months ago. But what about, why not use the last three months, or the last six months, or nine months, or two, or two years? A lot of analysts do that. They use two years of data to figure out where the trend really is for this month compared to right multiple uh, multiple years. Well, if you look at the CPI data uh, that came in, it was actually negative 0.1% month over month. Negative. So that's the first reading in negative territory for the for uh, 2022 the last month of the year and what's interesting we were saying this um for a lot of uh, for early part of last year saying inflation is going to peak early in the year and then you had the fed or not the fed the, the ukraine war and suddenly things changed right the the peak in inflation was pushed off until really second quarter we thought it was going to be first quarter peak. And that's pretty clear. In June, we had 1.3% inflation month over month. In July, we had 0% inflation month over month. August, only 0.1. September, 0.4. October, 0.4. November, 0.1. And December now, negative 0.1. So on an annualized basis, if you take the back half of the year, we're only at 1.8%. Yeah, you heard that right. 1.8%. So when everyone says, oh, inflation is a big problem, yeah, I mean, if you're looking uh, about base effects from two years ago, yeah, Infl uh, prices are up. But it's pretty clear that uh, the market's shifted. The market's changed. Okay. And ultimately, uh, you know, that's where, that's where we're at. Uh, you know, the Fed, although they're going to raise rates, inflation has been killed. So I don't know what they're trying to do. Really doesn't make sense to me, to be honest with you. It's clear they're not really paying that much attention. And that's what, that's what worries me. They're not really paying that much attention. Why? Why is that? You know, they said inflation was transitory. Well, was it? Yeah, it was. Eventually, uh, everything's going to be transitory. So that was the market today. Good reaction. Uh, but we are heading into option next week, next week. And I think that sets us up for, I think February will probably be more of a, of a month where we retrench. But in the near term, we are on the up and up. Let's go to Matthew in Louisiana. Let's talk about taxes. Hey, Justin. How can I help you? Um, I had a uh, tax question about... Um... I dollar cost average into an S&P 500 index fund. Okay. And uh, some of my friends and I were having a debate the other day. Some of my friends seem to think that if that stock appreciates and you're holding it, that you have to pay taxes on unrealized gains. And my, the way I understand it is that I don't have to pay taxes on those gains <clears throat> until I sell the stock. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Okay. You answered my question. Thank you so much. No problem.
Now, there are, just a, a caveat here, there are uh, what are called capital gains distributions, especially for mutual funds. They can happen in ETFs, but ETFs are pretty tax efficient. So you rarely have that. Uh, what, but mutual funds, they can basically distribute capital gains to you and basically force you. Uh, but that's, that's the only thing you probably have to worry about. But if you're buying you know, dollar cost averaging into ETFs, that's not really something you have much to worry about. Let's go to James in New York. who wants to talk about sectors. Yeah, I was wondering uh, what you felt recommended would be a how much percentage of each sector should one have in their portfolio. And if we were shifting out or away from one sector and leaning towards another, would industrials and utilities be a good area to add to? Well, what sector allocation you you have that it, a lot a lot of that depends on your time horizon, your risk tolerance level. Okay, so that's that's number one. So it's hard for me to get a blanket. Oh, everyone should have twelve percent in this sector, eight percent in this sector, etc. What I try to do is say these are the sectors you should be overweight. Your normal allocation. This is these are the areas you should be leaning on. Now, if you're looking at utilities and industrials, both are these are two different types of exposures. Um, now, they're, they're not growthier uh, names, typically. Uh, but one would be non-cyclical, and the other would be cyclical. Industrials would be cyclical. Cyclical, stock, cyclical stocks are doing well right now. I know it seems weird going into a recession. But remember, we're onshoring manufacturing. There's a ton, a massive, massive growth in CapEx spending to reshore manufacturing here in the United States. It's not discussed. It's not fun to talk about. It's not sexy, but it's happening. And so industrials are doing well. Utilities, they did well last year, comparatively. But so far this year, not nearly as well. So if I'm picking one or the other, I'm picking industrials over utilities. Okay, And a lot of that also has to do with valuation. Utilities, broadly, are pretty expensive. There's a lot of people chasing yield, a lot of people out there uh, trying to, you know, a lot of negative sentiment and therefore money flows into utilities. But once the tide shifts, money flows out of those utilities, okay, and into cyclical sectors like industrials. And that's where money is going right now. And I think that will continue to do so for most of the year. Now, let's make it three calls in a row. And this came in earlier at 8 at 8, 99 chart. Yeah, this is Will in San Diego, and I'm looking at ticker symbol AMLP and wonder if this is a good investment. Thanks. All right, looking at AMLP, Alarian MLP. Yeah, so it's an ETF holding uh, master limited partnerships. And I believe that this is the, the good thing about this is you're avoiding the K1s that you get with owning individual MLP. So this is an ETF. Uh, so that's the positive here. If you're trying to gain exposure to the MLP sector, this is a good ETF to do that. And you, and, and, and you want to avoid that, that, um, that the K1s that come with these limited partnerships typically. Now, the downside is that expense ratio is pretty high, 0.87%, 0.87%. So that's the biggest drawback here. Uh, um, so 
you know, I like it as a very small percentage of your portfolio. I probably wouldn't go crazy uh, on it. Um, just because remember, these masculine partnerships, for the most part, not only do they produce the K1, but they also have pretty leveraged balance sheets. It's very capital intensive to build out these systems. And um, they, they, they use most of their cash flows to pay out uh, in dividends as opposed to pay down the debt that they uh, built up in order to uh, build out these, uh, the, the infrastructure. So that's, that, that's one reason why I don't love, love MLPs uh, besides the K1 issue. Um, now this gets around the K1 issue, but it still leaves that, uh, that low leverage balance sheet. So I wouldn't go overboard and chase the yield. A lot of people are chasing the yield uh, within this space, uh, but I rather own a lower yielding uh, pipeline company that is in a limited partnership that put that pays qualified dividends, and that's another thing. That seven point seven percent, that's not going to be a qualified dividend. All of those dividends are coming from uh, a limited partnership. So you you have to take all of these things into account and not chase the yield. It's very important with REITs, with massive limited partnerships or limited partnerships of any kind. Un, don't chase the yield. The yield isn't as plain as the yield that it, that, it, that you get from uh, from utility or from Procter and Gamble or you know, any other big blue chip name. These are very different. You need to be cognizant of that uh, and what type of account you hold it in. So thanks for the call and I uh, hope that helped. Now we're heading into a break and I welcome your finance and investment questions now. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda. So give us a call now at 888-99-CHART. It's a new year, but you've got finance and investment questions. So Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Go back to Gene in North Carolina wants to talk about K1. Yes, uh, thanks for taking my call, Justin. Yeah, you were just talking about K1s in terms of uh, mm-hmm. MLPs. Mm-hmm. I have a two-part question. Um, I've gotten K1s before when I buy uh, when I buy ETFs that are either uh, negative or positively the daily uh, the daily daily leveraged or even some that deal with commodities. I think it's because they um, it, they invest in future contracts or they have future yep. contracts as part of their investment, and that appears. And it's, it, what's been frustrating, it's a two-part question, it's been frustrating is that it it seems to be spotty. I can hold the same ETF for three years, and one year I'll get a K-1, another year I won't get a K-1, another mm-hmm. year I'll get a K-1. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, one, is that has, has that been your, and all the ProShares um, leveraged ETFs seem to be mm-hmm. structured as MLPs, mm-hmm. by the way, it seems to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Two-part question. It, has that been your experience with some of these ETFs? I know there are some ETFs specifically that says it's K-1 free or no K-1. And also, the second part of the question is, in your model portfolios that you have for your clients, do you intentionally try to avoid investing in any position that would generate K-1s? The answer is yes, we do. Uh, and we don't use really ETFs. Very often, it's very rare that we'll use ETFs. Um, and you're right, most of the ones that produce some sort of K1 
uh, are in relation to gold uh, or are levered in some way. And so, you know, we don't use either of those. Um, so, you know, commodities in, in general, uh, we buy physical companies that uh, produce commodities, right? That, that, that mine for commodities. So we're not uh, typically playing commodities via an ETF. They're usually bad ways to play commodities anyway, because they're using, like you said, futures contracts. There's cost to rolling those futures contracts you're going to get much better bang for the buck by owning good quality uh, commodity producers uh, that pay dividends, that have good management teams, have good assets, et cetera. Much, much better. So we don't, we don't really buy ETFs to play the commodity space really at all. Um, so yeah, that's the answer to your, your question. And it's, this is a very important thing for everyone to understand whether you're buying mutual funds, ETFs, individual stocks, because K1s are a big headache, a huge headache. And if you own assets that produce a K1 within a tax-deferred account, like an IRA or a 401k, you're kind of defeating the purpose of having that, okay? Um, of having a tax-deferred instrument because you're investing money that's taxed, and then it's taxed, right? Any gains on that. Right, um, still so, apply to qualified accounts. Right. Exactly. So you want to only, if you're going to buy them, you want to do it in taxable accounts only only and then you still have to get a k1 right uh, you still have to deal with it um, and maybe your cpa deals with it and maybe you don't have to you know and it's not really again there is a small there is a small number of etfs that essentially and even in the title say it's k1 free or no k1 mm -hmm. as yeah. an alternative but yeah like i said a, a larian mlp it was that the last call that's all about that right that it's to, to avoid the k1 um but it doesn't mean that that's the only factor, just like everything. There's multiple factors to consider, and these K1s are underappreciated for most people, especially those that are, that are searching for dividends or exposure to uh, commodities in some way. Thanks for the call, Gene. Let's go talk to Luke in Wisconsin looking at IIPR. Hey, Justin. Um, I just have a couple quick questions about IIPR. As I'm digging deeper into their balance sheet, um, I see about 33% of their property uh, assets is in tenant improvements. Um, I was just wondering if you could make that make more sense to me. Uh, the way I understood it is they're kind of lending money out to their to their uh, tenants, and then their tenants are just paying them back. But I'm worried that some of their higher-risk tenants are kind of keeping them afloat. Um, as I look at some of their contracts, a lot of these tenants are, you know, struggling with their cash flows and their stocks are really depreciating if they're a public company. I was just wondering if you could uh, make that make more sense for me and if you could uh, let me know your opinion on IIPR. Thank you. Yeah, we like IIPR. And what you're talking about is money that they put into tenant improvements within their facilities. Right? You buy an empty space, you get it licensed for cannabis production. And for anybody else out there, IIPR is Innovative Industrial Properties. This is a, a REIT that basically leases space to producers uh, or companies within the cannabis space. Typically, they are uh, producing, they're growing uh, cannabis within the facility. Um, and obviously, that's highly regulated. And IAPR will do the legwork to get everything uh, licensed and, and set up to, 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 be, uh, to run properly based on local regulations. And then they'll lease it out to you know, a, a publicly traded um, cannabis company or privately owned. It uh, doesn't matter. But uh, that's that's basically what they do. And what you're talking about is their balance sheet. And 
tenant improvements is saying, just like any commercial property, the owners often will have an allowance. They will go in there and they will spend money on improvements. And the good thing about this business even more is that you can, even if they get a, a, a tenant that stops paying and they, they default and they, they move out, they're just going to bring someone back in and they don't need to change the, the setup very much, right? They already did all the tenant improvements to you know, grow cannabis or whatever. Uh, and there probably isn't a, a lot, a whole lot of changes need to be made. Whereas other commercial properties, you have a tenant move out, it might be a whole different type of tenant, and you need to scrap the whole thing and redo it. So, um, you know, we still like uh, IAPR. It's probably uh, the the best way to play the cannabis space at the current time in the public markets. Now, next and best talk: the story behind this question. Should you be looking at closed-end funds? We're gonna get to that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and ready to take your questions live at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, 
Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Good luck to John. He's in North Carolina looking at Hawkins Incorporated, small cap company. The owner are looking to buy it. Um, I've owned it in the past. I've bought it a couple times in the last two years and kind of like maybe like swing traded it a bit. And now I'm looking about getting it back in. The thesis is it's in that material space. It's involved in water treatment. It has a reasonable valuation, kind of low dividend, low payout ratio. Kind of hits on a few themes that you and um, Steve have mentioned over the last few years. So, yeah, small cap materials. Um, yeah, I kind of wanted to get your opinion on it and see what you thought about it. All right, it's a small cap name, about eight hundred billion dollar or eight hundred million dollar market cap. Excuse me. Majority of, re- of its revenue comes from. United States, so you know, like most small cap names, it's uh, more domestically focused. It, it does do a lot of water treatment uh, and, and produces a lot of chemicals for that, including some health and nutrition uh, segment as well, so ingredients in food, beverages, personal care. Uh, overall, I like it. I like what you're looking at. I like the type of company. Uh, return equity right now is 19%. Now, it's probably over-earning right now. Longer-term average is closer to 13%. That's the median over the last uh, five years. So it's probably over earning a bit here. And you can see that with earnings uh, earnings downgrades over the last, uh, or right now, recently. Uh, you have next year, earnings just to fall 4%, uh, but still well above pre-pandemic levels of $1.14. So let's make $2.68 next year. Not a big dividend yield, 1.4%, which I'm fine with. I, I actually like those smaller dividend yields that have room to grow, and it certainly does. Payout ratio is only 19%. Uh, let's look at this last dividend. Have, have they been raising their dividend? Yeah, they cut it back in 2018, but it's been rising since 2020, so that's good, uh, and there's, there's room to run there. Um, overall, I think it's pretty good. Minim, very minimal debt, uh, trading at enterprise value to EBITDA about 8.6, so it's not expensive on that front. I'm going to give this overall a, a thumbs up. Let me take a look at the chart real quick. Sometimes you hit the wrong key. Yeah, it's uh, it's into some. It hit some major support right around uh, 35, 36 bucks, and just bounced up to about 39 to close today. Uh, so I would give this a thumbs up. I think it's relatively cheap. Uh, earnings are coming down, but it's in the space that I like, and I like that they don't have much debt at all. So I'm going to give Hawkins a thumbs. Now, my focus point today concerns the story behind this question. What are bucket portfolios and how did they perform in 2022? And this is coming from Morningstar, and they do create uh, different types of bucket portfolios, aggressive, moderate, and conservative. 
And aggressive monitoring services is all relative, right? Uh, that's why we try to use volatility questionnaires to figure out what people are comfortable with when it comes to um, comes to uh, their, their portfolio. Uh, we put a number on it, as opposed to just broadly aggressive, moderate, and, and conservative. But this is how morning startup. And they do it in two different ways. They use mutual funds. Some, a lot of them are active mutual funds. Some of them are more indexes. They move. They use a, a mix of those in the mutual fund side. And on the ETF side, it's almost pretty much all indexes. They do have a dividend appreciation fund. Uh, they do have, what else? An emerging market bond fund in there. They have a few uh, ETFs that are a little more active, more on the bond side than the equity side. Um, but what's interesting here is there wasn't a whole lot of difference in the performance overall between aggressive, moderate, or conservative last year. Now, the aggressive one have about 8% cash, moderate 10% cash, conservative 12% cash. So that's where you're seeing that not a huge difference in the performance because not a huge difference in cash levels. And both stocks and bonds fell a good amount last year. Now, they're fairly well diversified where they have things like tips, they have tip funds in there. Uh, they tend to lean on more income-focused uh, strategies and value-type strategies. They don't have a ton of growth-focused mutual funds or ETFs here. And I think that's what prevented them from having heavy losses. They all saw losses anywhere from about 75 to 11% on the year. Okay. Uh, and so not terrible, especially compared to the NASDAQ down a third last year but they're well diversified uh and so the lessons you can take here is that a last year being focused more on the value side was better we kind of know that um and you're starting to see the mutual funds did better previously the etfs were doing better they were more indexed funds they outperformed they more active funds last year was the start uh for the first time in many years where the, the mutual fund side of their bucket portfolios did better because of the active nature. And I talk about this all the time, that there are longer-term trends. There are trends where indexes outperform. There are long-term trends where more active management outperform. And it's usually, that, that switch usually happens at extremes. And that's what you saw in 2020 and 2021 was that extreme allocation to indexes and to the growth stocks, and that's all reversed. And what happens then is once that reverses in a big way, like it had last year, suddenly all the money that's been crowding into that over-invested trade, in this instance, indexing, that starts to trickle out and it feeds on itself. Okay, and then you have the backdrop of higher inflation, higher interest rates, that also moves money into those more tangible names, the more the, the value side of the market, and that's what you're seeing so far. So that's really the lesson you're, you're getting from the performance of their bucket portfolios for 2022. Now let's pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank to play a question that came in earlier from Denmark. Hello, Invest Talk. This is Yannick from Denmark. I have a question about the stock Jackson Financial. 
JXN. It's extremely undervalued, I find, but it's relatively new on the stock market. So I don't know much about this company, but it's really, really undervalued. Therefore, I would like to hear your opinion. Is is this a safe investment, even though it's definitely not a blue chip stock? Thank you. Bye. All right. Looking at Jackson Financial, and you're right, it hasn't been on the market for very long. Uh, 2016 was the first year I see of earnings uh, earnings reporting. It went public, looks like, looks like in 2021, 6% yield, and it does look very, very cheap based on earnings. But as we know, earnings can be massively misleading. And it looks like they have a lot of long-term debt. Uh, yeah, all, all the numbers line up except for the enterprise value is negative in a big way. I really want to know why that is. I'd really have to dig in the balance sheet of this. What I don't like is the business that they're in. They sell annuities. Sell annuities. And there continues to be a push. And I think the push will eventually get through. And that is to hold all financial advisors to the fiduciary standard. Now, we at KHB Financial, we are a fiduciary. We're registered investment advisor. All reg- sole independent registered investment advisors are fiduciaries. Now, some will say that they are RAAs, registered investment advisors, but they're also brokers. We are not. But some wear both hats, and you never know which hat they're wearing. They might sell you an annuity one time, and they might uh, manage a portfolio another time, and they're, you don't know which hat they're, they're carrying. But Jackson just sells annuities, and that's more of a, a broker thing. And those that broker, that, that conflict of interest, that the commissions for selling loaded mutual funds, insurance products, annuities, there's a huge conflict of interest there. And that's why the vast majority of people that buy those things, they regret. Why? Because you should not the best investment for them. But it is the best investment for the salesperson to make big commissions. You buy an annuity, typically the seller of that annuity is earning about 10% commission on it. That's why it's a, it's a big business. You get somebody to put in 200 grand which, you know, in our industry is not a huge account, but it's something. You're getting twenty thousand dollars by getting them into an annuity. Some of them even will pay you over time, you know, a kickback. Maybe you earn twenty thousand up front and then five hundred bucks a year for as long as they hold that annuity. Obviously each one's structured differently, etc. But that's really the, the risk here. And I don't like the complexity of their balance sheet. I'd really have to dig into that. It looks very complex uh, from on the surface level. Um, and a lot of these insurance companies are. So um, be wary of that. Now, the technicals are fine. And, you know, I, it's probably going to hold up near term. So I have no problem with it in the near term. But long term, not an investment in my mind. Well, now it's 2023. And... Probably makes you realize that retirement day is right around the corner. 
may not feel like it, but it'll come faster than you think. And that means you need to keep your eye on the ball and update your strategies for your particular situation. What are your goals? Where are you at today? What's your risk tolerance level? How much are you saving a year? All these plus many more are factors that go into whether you are on track for financial freedom. And so if you need help understanding whether your direction is the right one, I encourage you to reach out to myself or CPs at our company, KPP Financial, where we operate the same philosophy as you do on air, which is independent thinking and shared success. We want to bring you along with our success. With our value investing approach, that is, frankly, outperforms long-term and definitely outperforming right now. So this is where we implement unbiased guidance, both on and off air, and we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio view assessment via telephone or go to meeting. Just send us a, send us a message through investtalk.com or give our office a call at 800-557-5461. sooner you reach out to us, the sooner we can help get your portfolio optimized. Now, next up, I'll tackle another InvestTalk caller question, so hang on. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. InvestTalk is a free download. Your participation makes it unique. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, love your show. I just wanted to get your opinion on the ETF AVGE, Avantis All Equity Markets. I listen to the podcast and thanks for all you do. All right, this is Avantis All Equity Markets ETF AVGE. It's a global large cap blend. Let me look at the portfolio. It says All Equity Markets. I think that's why it's a global, that's what they're trying to say, it's global. About 29% of the portfolio is non-U.S. stocks. 71% is in U.S. stocks. And only about 12, 13% of the portfolio is in technology, 13% in industrials, 10% energy, 7.5% based materials. Financial services, 19%, pretty high there. Uh, definitely leaning on the value side of the market, which is uh, good, which is good. It's not in the small cap. So if you're looking for maybe lower volatility and general outperformance for the broader indices, I think this is pretty good. I like it to lean a little bit more on the mid and small cap, but you know, overall, uh, it's, it's pretty good. Now, the question would really be on fees. You are paying let's see, the expense ratio 0.23%, not too bad. Not too bad on that front. So I'm gonna give this one Thumbs up, definitely better than buying the S&P, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, I would want a little more small and mid-cap exposure. Thanks for the call. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now we're going to head into our final break. But after the break, I want to touch on closed-end funds. Closed-end funds. This has been a popular place for people to chase yields. And... That's starting to come back to bite many. 
who didn't understand the leverage within the space, didn't understand where that yield was coming from and what the risk was to that yield. So we're going to look at that after the break, but we also have time for your call. If you make it, actually, we're going to talk to Ricardo from California. He's going to be up next as well. So if you want to jump in before the close, you can give us a call at 888-99-SHARK. Got a question for Steve or Justin? I'm calling to ask your opinion on an ETF called XLI. And the question is, during the market downturn, do dividends stay fairly steady? And I've got a question about warrant shares. I think that's the right term. A warrant is a right to buy shares of stocks at a certain price. What's your question? Now is a good time to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to take on your finance and investment questions. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Go to Ricardo in Linwood, California. Let's talk about ETFs. Hi, Justin. Uh, I have a quick question. what do you think of CD laddering versus ETF investing for a young uh, investor who's not active in the stock market but but wants to stay invested for the longer term? Well, what type of ETFs are you talking about? Like just buying the S&P? Yeah. Well, you're talking about uh, very two different types of investments. CDs are very safe, very low yielding. Uh, better yield today than you have in the past, but still, CDs around 4%. Uh, equities, longer term, they tend to earn closer to 10% annualized long term. So with a lot more volatility than a CD, So, but you're young and you probably can handle that volatility. So I'm going to say you want to be allocating towards equities. Um, so I would say ETFs, but you know your own personal risk tolerance. How much, how, how willing are you to handle uh, market volatility? Okay, so basically, uh, investing in the indexes for the longer term would be a better choice? For the long term, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. CDs are very safe. You have no credit risk there. You have no volatility because they're typically not traded. You know, you're just getting your yield. But also that yield could fall, right? You buy a year CD, the Fed cuts rates. A year from now, that might not yield 4%. might be 2%. So you're talking about apples and oranges here. Talking about a very safe fixed income security, a CD, or an aggressive, risky equity security. Very different. Apples and oranges. Thanks for the call. Now, lastly, let's talk a bit about the closed-end market, closed-end fund market, and some pretty big closed-end funds are cutting their payouts. And... These are very popular investment vehicles. About $270 billion are invested in these closed-end funds. Uh, but some of the biggest ones are cutting their, their yield. The PIMCO Municipal Bond Fund slashed its dividend by 45% this month. Nuvin LLC endured a 6% cut. Eaton Vance cut theirs by 24%. Six BlackRock mutual funds, uh, muni funds, excuse me, muni funds, 
cut their payout last year as much as 38%. Now, the reason this is happening is because of leverage. Leverage cuts both ways. And this is a perfect example of people chasing yield. Closed-end U.S. equity funds returned to minus 20.6% last year versus the S&P, down 18.1%. The taxable closed-end bond fund was down 19.4%. The average muni bond fund was down 23.4%, compared to 8.5% for the muni bond index and 13% for the taxable bond index. So much bigger losses than the broad, in, broad uh, in, the indexes they follow because of leverage. And that's how they're getting 8, 10, 12% yields from bonds is leverage. And what happened is they're borrowing short and they're investing in these low yielding securities 18 months ago, you know, for, you know, during the time when rates were rock bottom. And you're borrowing at two or three and you're investing at three or four, you're, you're earning some extra yield. But now that's flipped, right? That's short term rates are going up and it's eating up the extra yield you're getting by pick by, by leveraging up the, the balance sheet of these closed-end funds. And the munis are being hurt even more because their yields are even lower than those taxable bonds that they own. And that's why they are experiencing the deepest cuts. And about 4 million U.S. households invest in closed-end funds as of 2020. Nearly half of investors in all of these are retired. A lot of people are living off these, this income, and now it's being cut. The median age of the owners, 54. With an average household income of 135000 a median net worth of half a million. And th this isn't because there's one reason. It's leverage. For this because there are funds that are actually raising their their yield the new new york municipal value fund municipal bond fund actually raised its tail by 13 percent last year or sorry uh, since june why because it doesn't have leverage so this is another lesson that when you're chasing yield you need to know where that yield's coming from is it sustainable is it because of leverage and too much debt? Is it because of potentially the business is going to go away? If it's yielding that much, there's a reason for it. And a lot of those reasons are now coming home to roost, especially those in the bond market. I'm Justin Klein. This is another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success with InvestTalk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights.